edition of Radio TFS, episode number 30, TFS Hosting. I'm Mickey Gousset. This is Martin Woodward. And this is Paul Hacker. Well, y'all know the drill by now. Most times we don't have a plan. So today we'll go through a little bit of finding out what everyone's been up to. And then we're going to talk in a little more detail with Paul about the ins and outs of actually hosting a TFS environment for other people to use. So, Martin, let's start with you. What have you been up to? So, recently, I've actually been coding some C-sharp, which is unusual life for me <laughs> as, a, as one of the Java developers on the Visual Studio team. So, uh, we've been fixing um, some bugs in the, the build extensions. You know, we, there's a power tool available um, for uh, allowing you to build Ant and Maven projects using Team Foundation Server. Um, so that's good for the Java guys. Well, there were some issues with that um, that people were running into, especially if they were trying to run, like, there's one person that was trying to run builds on a 16-way machine. Yeah, they had 16 cores, and they're trying to run 16 builds in parallel, and it was it was failing to do that. And uh, that was, yeah, that was a bug in our build extensions. It uh, wasn't handling that. And then and um, some of the ones where it wasn't, in certain cases, it wasn't reporting the... Um, and failure or maybe failure correctly out of the builds and so so I've been fixing those which is good it's nice to be always nice to be back in Visual Studio and I have to say I've been playing with the uh, productivity extensions what are they called uh, the, the productivity the Visual Studio product yeah I know what you're talking about let me let me get you the exact name extension okay. so to get to it if you go to in Visual Studio 2010 if you go to tools and then extension manager dot 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 and if you go to online gallery, that'll show you all these fancy things you can go get that are, you know, are in the online gallery that can extend Visual Studio. And the top-rated one right as we speak, and the one I would highly recommend, is the Productivity Power Tools from Microsoft. And they're a bunch of power tools that slot into um, Visual Studio. And I think we talked about them last time. And they're just awesome. They're just really, really good. Like, um, it's a couple of things that it does that I really like. Um, it, it color codes your, your your editor tabs, which is quite nice. But it also adds a pin a pin button on them, so you can pin the tabs, and that way they don't automatically close. You know, which is quite handy. Um, and it also does some great stuff. Um, you can do like control and hover over a method, and it'll it'll take you directly to that the the equivalent of go to definition on that method, which is quite handy. And then the final one I really like is um, you know when if you've got a method call. And you want to know, you know, it's like one of like 10 overrides or something like that. And you, you want to call a different override. You're not quite sure which one you want to call. Well, you can, um, the, um, if you hover over the method, it gives you some actual, some, some more IntelliSense. And also while you're, you know, while you're typing it, it gives you some more IntelliSense and you can go and have a, have a, have an explore around that method a bit more and, you know, see what that, what, other things call that method um, and, and that sort of thing. So it's really, really good for navigating around your code. So highly recommended. You know, there's no harm in installing it, and it's all for free. So it's fantastic. Sweet, sweet. What about yourself, Paul? Yeah, I've been kind of laying low. You know, I've been real busy with clients, and, and uh, the hosting area has been taken off, and so I've been focusing on that a lot. Um, getting ready to deploy uh, Team Explorer everywhere uh, at a client. They're really excited about using it, and I'm excited about them getting on board with it um, because this is a client that doesn't usually use TFS for all that it's cracked up to be. 
And uh, unfortunately, they lose a lot of functionality, but they're really embracing this Team Explorer everywhere in their Java environment rather than using uh, Subversion, which they've used in the past. So that's really good that we're kind of winning them over to the TFS side. So I've been learning about that from the Eclipse point of view. And uh, also, I'm starting to do some ClearCase to TFS migrations. And I'm learning a lot about ClearCase, which I've not really used a lot in the past. So I'm getting my hands in on ClearCase. And uh, I'm actually playing around with the um, integration platform to do the migrations from ClearCase to TFS. So there will be more on that in future talks. But uh, right now, we're just kind of looking at it and examining what, how useful is it going to be for us, things like that. So really, that's where my focus has been. And then again, like I say, the hosting world. You know, I'm, I'm getting more and more people signing up for TFS hosting, and we're offering more packages now. So, um, you know, that's always a good thing. Awesome. Well, for myself, I have been getting ready for my presentations at DevLink up in Nashville and th that are this Thursday and Friday. So I'm trying to wrap up those presentations. I'm talking on branching and merging with TFS 2010 and on the different testing tools like the, the manual test runner and that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to giving those two talks because those are two talks that I've not given before. So it'll be pretty exciting. Other than that, I have, I'm waiting to see if any of my talks made it to TechEd Europe. I'm, I made the short list where people got to vote. So people, so back on the internet, you could actually vote for sessions, but we're wait, I'm waiting to hear about that. So that, that's what I've been doing mostly in the TFS realm, mostly just getting ready for my talks in DevLink. I do want to give a, a quick kind of shout out to my wife, Amy, who is actually f filming a movie for DreamWorks Productions in Greenwood, Mississippi. Wow. She's, she is the stand-in for Bryce Dallas Howard in, in the movie The Help. So she's going to be on the set a good bit and, and interacting with all those movie types. So I won't see her for the next two months. So I wish her well. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was pretty, pretty cool. So let's jump right into our main topic, which is TFS hosting. And luckily, we have one of the experts in TFS hosting on this call with us, which is our co-host, Paul Hacker. So, so, Paul, why don't you kind of give our listeners a quick overview of what we're talking about when we say TFS hosting and why you decided to jump into this space? Sure, Mickey. Um, the TFS hosting is, is basically providing Team Foundation server functionality over the Internet and what we call SaaS, Software as a Service. So uh, basically, we offer it as a service to individuals who are looking to use Team Foundation Server but don't want to have the full implementation in-house. We offer that service for them at a monthly fee. All they have to do is connect with the client of their choice, and they have Team Foundation Server. And um, the reason I jumped into this space is I, I was convinced that at some point, Team Foundation Server was going to become more and more a hostable product. And so I decided that I wanted to get in kind of early um, to to see that you know if I could I could make a go of this thing if people would really be interested in hosted TFS because there's a lot of functionality there but really a lot of people just use TFS for the version control aspects and and it was I was curious if people were going to be willing to pay the price that Microsoft was going to charge us to host it um, for what they deemed as version control and I was I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of people that I had sign up. Um, in, that, in that first year that um, really wanted to take advantage of all that TFS had to offer. Um, it really kind of sold me that, yeah, this is something that maybe not right now is a big hot thing, but in the future I think is going to become more and more uh, in demand. So 
typically um, one of the first you know concerns I, I hear people have is is about putting their family jewels, you know, their source code out in the cloud somewhere. I presume you haven't run into that much because by the time people get to you, they've already got over that problem. Or do you, or do you still see some resistance inside people's organizations into storing source out on the cloud? There's still a lot of resistance. People don't want to put their source code in the cloud for the most part. Um, but we also find that there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, they question us on our security. We, we show them um, our brochures from our data center. We, we let them know our security policies. And, and they're pretty comfortable with that. And at that point, they are willing to throw their, their source into the cloud. Uh, so, yeah, but we still get questions on that quite a bit. So what versions of TFS do you support? Or right in now, general? we're supporting 2008, but we're not, inst- we're not putting any new customers on 2008. We're just keeping the old customers that want to stay there on 2008 because I do have a, a list of customers that just choose not to move to 2010 at this point. Uh, and then I have all the new folks that are signing up will be going on t- TFS 2010. What sort of infrastructure do you have in place for you know to run all these TFS instances? How does that work? So basically what we have is we have, in fact, I just ordered um, a new SAN. So we'll have a SAN on the back end. And what we do is um, how it works is we basically offer individuals a shared environment, which means we have um, three application tiers stood up. We have a physical database on the back end, and we have a load balance, so that way then it's high availability. So um, that we're using the, the high availability infrastructure that Microsoft prescribes. Then we um, also offer um, a dedicated environment where we, uh, we offer a virtual machine. So we have a virtual machine servers that we can stack. We you know, stack with memory, and we can just stack VMs on top of that thing. And again, we use a physical database on the back end. Or if you choose to have um, a completely dedicated environment where you want to share no database at all, we could do a single server install on a virtual machine and have your database and all that all on a single machine, your build server. Everything's on a single machine, and we give it you know, enough RAM to where you're, you can work with it quite well. So do you allow people to have, like, or is the capability there for people to have, like, multiple build servers and, and that kind of thing to, to scale out their environment as they want all these new pieces? We could we could spin up virtual machines for build servers for them if they want to. It's going to cost them extra for that. We don't um, offer uh, we offer a build machine as part of the um, dedicated environment and as part of the shared environment. But anything after that that you want, you want to scale up your builds, you're going to have to purchase virtual machines for that. Um, what, one of the things we're going to contend with is coming forward is. Um, in the shared environment, we're finding that every, every team project collection needs its own build machine, which means every customer we add has to have their own dedicated build machine, which can become quite a bit of an enormous amount of virtual machines you have running around um, in, in, for customers that may or may not use the builds at all. So we're trying to find a common ground for that whole build situation. It's still something we haven't completely ironed out yet. What are you using for virtualization at the moment? Are you using Hyper-V or VMware or what? We're using VMware. We were using Hyper-V, but we found that there was some deficiencies in its memory utilization, and so we had to go to Hyper-V just so we could, um, in order to stack more VMs on a server. We were just not utilizing our hardware to the best of its ability, Uh, so we went to VMware. But 
there are some significant changes with Hyper-V, and we're actually looking at maybe at some point, if, if Hyper-V matures a little bit more, switching back to Hyper-V. So you started doing this with Team Foundation Server 2008, and I'm sure there were some, some technological hurdles or whatnot that you had to overcome to get Team Foundation Server 2008 to work in a hosted environment because it wasn't completely designed that way. And I know 2010 is more designed to work in a hosting environment. So can you, can you comment or give us a little insight on some of the issues you found with trying to make 2008 work and then why 2010 is, has made this any easier for you if it has? Well, the one thing about 2008 is, first off, it wasn't load balanced. Um, and so there was no high availability. If our, if our server went down, our server went down. And we were, we were clamoring to get that thing back online. Now, luckily, we haven't had that happen. Our infrastructure is pretty solid, and we haven't had any failures like that. Um, some of the other hurdles were trying to actually just get it exposed to the Internet, uh, where in 2010 it's much more easier to expose TFS to the Internet. Um, it was more difficult with, with um, 2010 to get, or to 2008 to get that done. You had to go in and do some registry modifications, and you had to, you know, go in and change um, SharePoint uh, physically. And um, so there was, there was some things you had to do, a lot of steps you had to go through, manual steps that at any point, if you wanted to miss a step, would cause the whole thing not to work. And so it was very fragile. And so with 2010, again, it's, it's, a lot more, um, it's a lot more robust in terms of what it can do to be exposed to the Internet. And it makes it a lot easier for us to expose it. How much um, time do you spend, do you think, just keeping the servers ticking over, keeping them up to date? Because you know, you've obviously got a lot of instances running there. Yeah, how, how much overhead is each instance, do you think, per person in terms of support resource? In terms of support from the client side, there's not much at all. We are very surprised at the, the number of support questions we don't get. Um, we, we really don't have a lot of support issues. Um, the main problems we hear from the client side are, oh, I'm using 2008 and I'm trying to connect to 2010. I don't think I have the, the string correctly, you know, in, in here, the URL right, so I can't connect. So we walk them through that, and we give them some screenshots and some documentation that we provide when they sign up, and that usually helps them out. Um, from the internal side of things, to keep these things humming, though, you know, we're, we're working on it probably an average of uh, 20 to 25 hours a week, making sure that everything's up and going, patched, uh, you know, that, that we're consolidating correctly, that our backups are working correctly. You know, we go in and we test our disaster recovery. Uh, we do our physical database backups, so we run through all these procedures, um, on a, some of them on a monthly basis, some of them on a bi-monthly basis, and then just the everyday tasks of making sure your, you know, your servers are patched and they're running and everything looks okay. So that's, I'd say, about 20 to 25 hours a week internal that we have spent on it. So what do you use for the portal aspect? Do you actually spin up SharePoint Portal Server or do you and have, and have the the project's pointing to that, or do you just spin up Windows SharePoint services on each of these virtual machines? If you get a dedicated virtual machine and you want a single server install, you're going to get WSS 3.0. If you want a shared environment, um, you're going to get uh, Moss on the back end. Um, you're in, in, so uh, we have it set up where we have our Moss server, our database server, and our three physical application tiers for the high availability piece. Um, and we figured that we'd offer Moss as the portal for that because we figured it would. would um, there's just so much more to offer with Moss. To try and throw Moss on a physical server, um, we would have to hike the price up um, for a dedicated server uh, to the point where it wouldn't become 
affordable for for the individual to to use. For what they're gaining, they're spending a lot more for what they're going to gain. So we we were thinking about giving people the choice in the future of you tell us what you want. Do you want Moss or do you want VSS or WSS? And if so, here's the price differences for you. And that and that might that might be good just from the standpoint of I know that if you use SharePoint Portal or uh, if you use actual Moss, then um, it you get extra functionality in the in the portal aspect of Team Foundation Server than you do with just Windows SharePoint services, more dashboards, that kind of thing. Right, and, exactly. And giving clients a choice is always a good thing. Right, right. And that's what we're always looking to do is try and expand our product line so that way we have, um, you know, we can basically uh, cater to everybody, which, again, if you look at all the hosting companies out there that are doing TFS hosting, they've got a pretty much one package. You know, here it is. So we, this is what we offer you. Um, you may or may not get a build server. Uh, what we're looking at doing is trying to make this really a product in which, you know, there's different flavors of it, and people can really come and get what they want and kind of build their own system the way they would feel comfortable and what would work in their price range. One of the things I was just thinking about is you could hook in possibly, you know, in, with your 2010 instances, you could make, it'd be interesting to see if you can point them off to, you know, the BPOS, the business, uh, Microsoft Business Productivity Online Suite, or I think it's called. Yes. Yeah, be interested to see if you can. That comes with SharePoint. Be interested to see if you could point them off to that for their portal side. You know, well, that's an interesting concept. I haven't really thought about that too much. Um, uh, I'm not sure how that would work during team project creation, though. So I don't know. That's that's again that's where usually becomes the issue is because you have to have so much rights at the um, SharePoint admin level. You know, you have to be a farm admin if you want to create a project, and there's always the security risk of exposing. Um, uh, SharePoint over the internet with with administrative rights like that. Um, there's always a security risk, but you know you got to weigh the options. If you want your client to be able to create a project, then you got to give them that access. So, so I have a a question that's just going to make my brain explode in a second. So you're running all your stuff on VMware. Mm-hmm. Do you provide lab management access where people can then use the whole testing and lab management tools where they can spin up virtual test environments in Hyper-V, which means you would have VMware running Windows Server 2008 in a VM VMware, which then spins up, runs Hyper-V, which then spins up Hyper-V images inside a VMware image, and then my head explodes. Yeah. No, we don't. Just just a flat-out answer, no. We've, we've talked to the Microsoft folks about trying to do a hosted lab management environment, and the tool is just not designed for that for that. It's just not designed to be in a hosted scenario at all. Um, it's more designed to be an in-house product where you know you can, you can spin up what you need when you need it, but for us to be able to sell it as a service, it's just Microsoft basically came back and said it's not possible for what we want to do. So, so if you guys got a better idea you know, offline, let's talk. <laughs> I hate to, uh, hate to be the one want to do, answer this question, ask this question, I always hate answering it, but how does licensing work? So if I pay, if I pay you that monthly fee, does that, include, does that include my cows for TFS and the server licensing and things like that? Do I, is that all I have to pay, just that fee to you and then the tools I want to use? No, you have to provide your client licenses. So whatever that may be, whether it be a Visual Studio product, um, Ultimate or uh, Premium, or, or professional, or you have to have Team Explorer or Team Explorer everywhere. We only pay for the Team Foundation server licensing piece. <clears throat> so when we when we get what they call a SPLAW, SPLAW is the licensing model that's given to hosters. Our SPLAW licensing only covers Team Foundation server itself. 
So anyone wanting to use a hosting company such as yours for TFS hosting doesn't have to worry about the TFS license or the SQL Server licenses or the SharePoint licenses. They just have to make sure they have the client access licenses that they need for accessing the Team Foundation server. That's correct. We, we cover everything else. Now, there is – we do have another um, offering, too. Um, and if you go to our website, you'll see this, um, where now in, in, in today's um, Visual Studio product line, you get a Team Foundation server license with your MSDN subscription that can be used in a production environment. So what Microsoft has told us is that you can go ahead and you can use their key and basically rent them the hardware. So what that allows us to do is it allows us to rent them a server. So we rent them a server at $200 a month USD, and they can have as many people on that server as can physically be handled on that server. They can have as many project collections, projects, whatever they want to do on that server. It's all theirs. But they provide us the Team Foundation server license because they've already paid for that. They're just, we're just giving them the hardware to use so they don't have to have it administered in-house. But we're finding people interested in that, too. Cool. Have you seen an upswing in people interested in hosted in using a hosted TFS service since the release of 2010? Yeah, I have. Um, we've seen a lot of interest. Um, where we're still struggling with is the price point. And the price point is such that um, uh, it's still not as affordable as everybody would like it to be. When you look at other products like a Subversion or something like that, which, again, doesn't offer you all the functionality that TFS offers you, but you have to remember that most people are looking at it as, I'm going to pay how much for version control? And that's still the perception out there. So we're trying to break that perception and give people, you know, the understanding that, hey, you can get all of this. If you utilize all of this, this is a great price for what you're getting. Um, But we are seeing a definite interest in it. Have you had anybody coming along that wants to, say, come on from SourceSafe and migrate their SourceSafe database into it? Or they tend to be completely new, you know, new customers? Well, um, a lot of them tend to be new customers. Um, we do have a couple customers we're working with that want to migrate from SourceSafe over to um, TFS. So there's a big shop that we're working with right now. In fact, they wish that we could, we could tie in with lab management because they want the lab management functionality in the cloud too, which there's other options available to them, but we can't offer that at this point. Um, but, yeah, we see some people there that are moving from VSS to TFS. How would you do that migration? Because obviously the the import from VSS, you know, that takes a lot of that takes a lot of bandwidth and, and a lot of activity on your TFS server. So what we would do is we, here's what we ask the client to do: is if the client wants us to pull the source code up in the Team Foundation server, we ask them to um, upload their database that they want us to provide to to, to migrate in. And we will do it um, remotely. We'll, we'll dial in and we'll, we'll um, take that database and we'll migrate it to the TFS server and we'll return them back their database or destroy it, whatever they want us to do when they're done. The other option is for us to come on site and do it for them. Um, but again, you're using a lot of bandwidth there. We have to push it up to our servers and then physically dial into our servers and do it that way. Um, the on-site gets more consulting, gets more of that personal feel to it. But either way, they're going to have to move them up to our servers because the bandwidth is just incredibly, you would be, you know, using up so much bandwidth, it would, be in, it would not be beneficial to do it that way. And a possible third option would be tell them to just send you the tip and then put a machine over in the corner running VSS so they can access their history if they ever need it. And that's what a lot of people, I think, are doing, too, is they're just bringing over their latest version of the code and shoving it up in the Team Foundation server. And for that, they really don't need our help. They, they are pretty much, 
it's the people that come to us have knowledge of source control, their systems, they have knowledge of TFS, so they understand what they're getting into and they understand how to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Um, it's very few people that come into it not knowing anything and need a lot of help. I know you said that the lab management piece isn't, isn't accessible. Are there any other features of TFS 2010 or VS 2010 that don't work in a hosted environment at this point that our listeners should be aware of? No, not that I'm aware of. I've got everything hosted, reporting services, SharePoint, all the TFS functionality, source control, um, the builds. The one thing that that gets the only thing that gets kind of tricky there is the bills. But other than that, um, everything else works just fine. You know, there's we really have no problems. What kind of customers do you see, Paul? I mean, is it a mix between big companies and small shops, or is it mostly small shops, or what do you see? I see consulting shops who want to then charge it back to their customers, and so they'll have um, all their customers on a single TFS instance, and they'll do all their projects, run all their projects through the King Foundation server. I see a lot of uh, startups. We do offer a program for BizSpark, and for BizSpark, they get TFS at like $20 a month per user, and they get the full-blown TFS, everything. Uh, and we see a lot of those folks coming on, just startups that want to be able to use source control, that want TFS functionality. Uh, so really, that's where they lie, the consulting companies and the startups. I don't see a lot of huge companies doing it, and I don't know that we ever will. That's really not the market we're targeting. So... <clears throat> those folks have enough infrastructure and stuff in place to be able to support their own PFS instances for the most part. Do you have any final words of, of wisdom or advice or thoughts for anyone out there who might be considering using a TFS uh, hosting environment but you know has that whole haven't jumped to the cloud yet or any other information around TFS hosting that you think our listeners might need to know? Yeah, um, well, there's a couple things. First off, if you've got questions about it, feel free to contact us. Um, you know, our, our uh, website is www.sasmadeeasy.com. We have an 800 number you can call us at. We have email you can call us, uh, email us at. Um, we'll be happy to talk to you about your options. Um, and, and there's no obligation by anybody. We, we're not here to push our service onto you. You know, if you've got questions, we'll, we'll try to inform the public and you make your best decision. The other thing I want to make people aware of is coming up soon, and I'm, I'm thinking the October time frame is we're going to be launching a whole new program, which is called TFS Basic in the Cloud. And what it's going to do is it's going to allow us to offer Team Foundation Server at a relatively inexpensive price, and uh, you're going to get to TFS Basic. So you're going to get um, report, and you won't get reporting services, and you won't get SharePoint. Um, but uh, you'll get everything else that TFS has to offer. We're still working on how that's going to work, how that's going to set up to keep it at a, a really small price point. But we're going to try and rival your subversions and other hosting companies out there with the, with the cost. Wow, cool. Hey, yeah. Paul, I've got I've got one more question for you, which is sure. you know purely this is like Microsoft out on now. So if if we could, if like the Team Foundation server team could do one one thing to make your life as a hoster easier, what would it be? Rework the build servers for project collections. I don't like one build server tied to one project collection. Okay. That was that, easy. That's, that's easy. killing us. That's killing us. We, we can't, you know, that's, that's what's making it so hard for us to offer TFS Basic right now at a very small price point because if we want to offer build, we've got to offer them a separate virtual server along with their TFS build server or the TFS basic server. So they have to get two virtual servers onto our machines in order for them to, and I've got to do that for every single customer that signs up. Understood. 
Paul, Paul, this has been really informative as far as around how TFS hosting works, and we'll include in the show notes links to SAS Made Easy as well as any other links we find that our listeners might find interesting or informative. So, guys, what else you got that you want to mention before we wrap things up? Martin, what do you got? So um, I had a um, talking with some people from uh, Microsoft User Research last week, and they're um, really interested in finding people for they do research studies uh, where they're trying to get you know feedback on a wide range of products and tools and initiatives in Microsoft. And currently, they're looking for people um, who are Visual Studio users or well C Sharp users, TFS and Agile users, and um, to to take part in a in a usability um, and user research survey. So if uh, that's of interest, if you think you'd be interested in helping people out with that, then if you want to drop an email to devur, that's D-E-V-U-R, devuserresearch, at microsoft.com and, uh, you know, start talking with them, saying you heard, them on, heard the offer on Radio TFS. They do, um, they do people who help with, with user research, you do get like a choice of, what do we say, the legalese is something like, all participants will receive a gratuity item from a selection of tools, initiatives, and products, which I read as you get some free stuff if you help. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's a, good way, it's a good way of providing feedback in, you know, we're very privileged in our position because we're, you know, well, I used to be an MVP and you guys are MVPs and, you've, you know, you know who to email to uh, give feedback to. But um, if you you know you don't have that and you wanted to take part in some user research, then yep, contact devur at microsoft.com and they'd they love to hear from you. And it's it's really cool as well because as well as doing some online stuff um, around the Seattle area, if you're based around the Seattle area, then definitely get in contact with them because they um, they sometimes like bring people into the uh, user you know the user research labs and there's these big labs with like two way mirrors and things and the interview year and you know we we can watch videos of you as you as you're trying your way around all these new products and technologies and things so it, it's great <laughs> Paul you have anything you want to leave our listeners with uh, no I actually want to thank you guys for taking the time to talk to me today about uh, about hosted TFS and uh, really that's about it <clears throat> So, Mickey, have you got any uh, have you got any tips you want to you want to share with us? I have one quick tip that I want to share, which was a link that I came across that I'll put in the show notes that I should have had a little shrinkster link for, but I don't yet. Which was a link that someone at Geeks with Blog, which I think his name is Enrique Lima, and please excuse me if I mispronounce that, but he has put together a a list of links that he calls the unofficial prep guide to the TFS 2010 exam. So Microsoft has a 2010 certification exam out now for TFS. And what um, this guy has done is take, a, take all the requirements that are listed for what you need to know to take this exam and cross-referenced it with links to MSDN and blogs and other, set, other areas where you can find the information you need so that you can learn what you need to know for that part of the exam. So obviously I want to say go buy, go buy the Professional Application Lifecycle Management with Visual Studio 2010, and that will help you too. But this is a great, a great, just real one-page resource to help you get ready if you're planning on getting TFS certified. Wow, that's a great blog post. I'm just looking at it now from one you sent along. That's that's fantastic. And we'll put that link in the show notes. And other than that, if you guys don't have anything else, then this has been yet another great edition of Radio TFS. Remember, you can email us at what is our email address? Radio TFS <laughs> at gmail.com. That's the one. 
I have to remember it because no one's been emailing us. So if you email us, then we'll read your email on the air, assuming that we can, and try to give you an answer or at least provide us something fun to talk about. I mean, you can also hit the uh, Radio TFS website at www.radiotfs.com. So on behalf of Paul and Martin, this is Mickey, and I want to say thank you again for another great episode of Radio TFS. 